What's up? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. And I'm Jesse. And we are the Dad Fathers coming at you with some deserty energy. Desolate, hot energy. The sun's just beating down on us. We're in a desert mm. of palms. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. Yeah. I hate a bunch of old people. Around. Around. Yeah. <laughs> That's not why it's bad. They just happen to be there, Jesse. <laughs> They're out there playing golf because, of course, we're referencing the fact that today we are finishing up our time loop romance series. I don't know if we're calling it that, but I'm calling it that because they'll have that in common. But it's it's the final one. We have done Groundhog Day. We have done About Time. We have done Edge of Tomorrow, a.k.a. Lived I Repeat. And now we are coming at you with our final one from 2020, Palm Springs. This is this is kind of an interesting one for us to pick. I think it, it makes sense logically if you were to make like a list of time loops through the years, because that's kind of how we did this. But it's interesting for mm-hmm. us because this is like our first R-rated comedy. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty wild. Well, didn't we do uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? We, that's Jesse's barely R-rated. R-rated. It is R-rated, though. It is, but it's not what I it, mean when I say yeah. that. You know what, what I mean? What Vita wants is raunch. <laughs> Raunchy. <laughs> and this movie is. So we're kind of doing it because it is, I think in a lot of ways, we'll get into it in the episode. I think it's, an, it's a direct answer to Groundhog Day. I think that it's doing some interesting stuff. It's doing some familiar stuff. And, and we'll figure out kind of why we're doing it as we discuss it. But before we get into everything that we're doing, Michael. Oh, hey, Jesse. What's up? <laughs> that, was, that was a bad one. That was pretty uh, throaty. That was really. That throaty. was very throaty. Um, <laughs> good to have see. you back, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, uh, this weekend we watched Kung Fu Panda. Uh, off ah, of Mike's yeah. recommendation, awesome. it was great. It was a great time. I pitched it to my kids very specifically, though. I said this was going to be about a panda, and he and he fights, and sometimes he fights with his belly. Ah. <laughs> I distinctly remember that happening in this movie and they were laughing so hard at the thought of this panda fighting with his belly <laughs> that they were disappointed by the lack of belly fighting in the movie but it's like so, the deciding moment when, when he uses his belly and there's like the sonic boom that happens <laughs> yeah it was great but like when it happened I pointed it out and my daughter was like wait what and she like was drawing or something at the time wow. I was like, oh, you, you you missed it. You missed the pitch. You missed why we're watching the movie for that scene. That was it. So <laughs> it's a tragedy. My son loved it. Yeah, my son loved it. She didn't. <laughs> so that's that's what we watched as a family. It, it turned out it turned out well. And then, like me and my wife, we are in the middle of watching Drive My Car, Ooh. which is a three hour movie. So we're we just said, all right, we're going to watch an hour and a half of it. One night and I mean for your sanity, it makes sense. It is slow. (laughs) The the opening like credits, you know, where they start going over you know, the opening credits, they start happening forty minutes into the movie. (gasps) I love that. (laughs) Mike loves I am sold. I am sold. Mike would prefer if the opening credits were in the final scene. Yeah, I think that that would be and then followed immediately by the end credits. Be amazing. That'd be amazing. Uh, I'm already sold. This is already my favorite movie of 2020. <laughs> There's a bunch of awkward sex scenes that have happened so far. 
Mm-hmm. They're really awkward. Good. I'm just like I. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. This is this is weird. This is really strange. Really strange. Interesting. And that's that's where I'm at with this movie. And then and then suddenly we're not there, and he's being driven around. Yeah. So some someone's driving his car, though. I mean, that's the sales pitch, right? Just drive my car. Yeah. 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 Don't pimp, read the description for ride. this movie because they. The description for this movie, I feel like, kind of ruins it because it's just like, well, I know I'm just waiting for this one thing to happen. Oh, all right, it just happened. All right, so don't don't read the description of this movie. Just watch it. I, I have yeah, to say, or maybe that, don't because I don't know if I even want to watch this movie again. Who knows? That, that's a that's a very it's a very far from glowing review. <laughs> <laughs> it's slow. It's really slow. I did really love the Green Knight, and I remember that you were not as hot on it. Jesse and I did actually appreciate the Green Knight was slow, but I also don't really like slow movies. So this is like a this is a fifty fifty for me whether or not I'm going to enjoy this. I think Mike's in the bag. Oh yeah, I uh, my favorite <laughs> movies are ones where I struggle against myself, desiring to fall asleep. That's, <laughs> it's really about that. I like to fight with myself, and that's yeah. what it does for me. I actually had a thought like halfway through the movie, or halfway through my half of the movie. That like Mike would really like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a compliment. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was intended to be. One. Yeah, in kind I of. Mean, a, I, but... I know. I know what Mike likes. We've also talked though about Jesse as the master at the unintended backhand compliment. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. That was also backhanded. Um, well, I, I appreciate I appreciate you gave it the old college try. I can't wait to also give it the old college try. And uh, when we do our Oscars episode, we'll have to all weigh in kind of on what what we feel about the Best Picture nominees. Because yeah. uh, spoiler, uh, not that hot <laughs> so far. Yeah, it's starting to feel like a chore. Uh, yeah. Jesse, is anything else up from the the week? No. No, okay. we've been very quiet movie-wise. So yeah, that okay. was it. All right. Well, then in that case, hey Dan, what's up? <laughs> uh, 8.0, I think on that one. No, I actually it's funny. We just watched Kung Fu Panda 2 nights ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, nice. I think we've all finally watched Kung Fu Panda with our kids, which is monumental. Yeah, and very similar. Like my son loved it. He couldn't get enough of, you know, all the fight scenes. And honestly, I couldn't get enough of the fight scenes. Like they are legitimately well choreographed. And then, of course, during the scary parts, my my daughter comes running over and, you know, lays next to me because she's scared. And that's also a win in my book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But so far, no nightmares or anything. So I think they're fine. I think they handled it. And then other than that, I've been doing the Oscars list. I've been trying to get caught up on the best pictures and all that. I recently watched The Lost Daughter. Mm. Ooh, yeah. I I had a tough time with it. I think because I felt like none of the characters were very redemptive or I didn't feel like any of them maybe became better by the end of the movie or I felt like in some ways you just grew to hate them more throughout the movie. And it definitely was like, well, very well acted, incredibly acted, well-written, there were a lot of things in it that I really loved. The set pieces were great. I just, the characters, I think I really struggled with because they just, none of them were, yeah, good, I guess, in general. Like people that I want to, you know. Likeable? Likeable. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for is, yeah, they're not very likable. They're not very like, wow, I want to, I want to pursue that 
characteristic or I want to experience that, or that's, that's something, you know, they grew in that moment. I never saw any like growth in their characters and I kind of struggled with, with that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there is a, a point to movies like that, that I just, I'm not in a part of my life to appreciate, but. But is there like a Walter White type figure where yes, he's evil, but maybe you happen to like some aspects about him and are kind of rooting for him in some way. Actually, so that's funny. I did think about Breaking Bad during it because I'm like, I love Breaking Bad. And that's about not just a guy, you know, who's bad. He actually becomes bad. And but I also feel like the side characters are likable and you can relate to them. And in Breaking Bad. Yeah. In Breaking Bad. Yeah. And and also, I think it's more interesting to me to watch someone progress from good to bad than just be bad and maybe become worse. Oh. Like, like, a, like a classical tragedy, right? The fall, right? It, it's, it's, it's at least somewhat entertaining to see like a good man become a bad man, right? Yeah. But to watch a bad man get worse, I mean, that can be fun <laughs> if it's like a movie about bank robbers, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it has to be like, it seems like it has to be like in a very specific kind of, of movie. Yes. Yeah. It has to go from being like pretty bad to being super bad rather than being like from kind of meh, I felt like the characters were actively dislikable, but usually, I mean, like Walter White, like you kind of want to spend time around him. He's got like no. force of personality. There's some charisma to him. Yeah, there's a force of personality there. Whereas I don't think anyone in um, in The Lost Daughter, I mean, I didn't feel like anyone in The Lost Daughter, apart from Jesse Buckley, was very, uh, you wanted to spend much time around. That's how's my oh. feeling. Yeah, That's, yeah. I, I agree with that. And they don't and really I, get any worse. They just sort of stay. Ugh. Right. Like the movie slowly exposes you to how bad they are or have been. It was just more of like the exposition of how bad they were. It wasn't like they were changing drastically one way or the other. Okay. And so maybe that was it too of like, I didn't sort see of a character. Yeah. It wasn't a character arc. It was more like the audience's arc of realizing how they're really terrible mothers mm-hmm. and and that was that was difficult for me to, to yeah. appreciate yeah i think when i watch a movie i want to watch movie of characters that that i like that are there that i want to be around in some way and if they don't have that if they don't have that quality it's like Vito said that needs to be bank robbers needs to be like <laughs> fast-paced crazy plot because i want to be there i want to be in that time at at that place doing that thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's neither of those things, if I'm watching characters actually dislike doing in, in no situation that I really want to be in, I don't think I want to watch that movie. It's a hard sell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think my wife watched it. She had a lot of complicated feelings about it. I told her that I, I would, I would watch it too. And, and we would talk about it. So I, I look forward to talking about the lost daughter because it's uh, I mean, it's Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut and it's, it's honestly kind of about a subject that not a lot of things are about Yeah, in a different way. I'm sorry. It's, it's about something in a different way than most things are about that thing. Right. Right. Talking about middle-aged women talking about motherhood in a way that's not in a hallmark way. That's not that common. And I would like to engage with it on that level. I just, I just haven't made my way to it, but honestly, all the conversation that I've heard around it does make me invested to try and see what it is that I think about it. So I, I really look forward to watching it. I think that I've only heard really thoughtful and really constructive commentary around it, especially from, from you, Mike and you, Dan. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, I, I at least am interested to join in the discussion, even if I don't like the product. 
I find value in it, if only for the fact that it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't stuff that I, like you said, it's not something that I like to be around. And I feel like that's at least uh, horizon broadening to some degree. But, yeah. But, Mike, we, we've got a question for you now. What's up? <laughs> See, that wasn't bad. Yeah, that was great. I have no idea what was, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesse, what's up? Is, <laughs> is that we have also been watching some Oscar flicks. Uh, my wife and I sat down and watched Coda over the weekend. Coda, the uh, movie about the child of deaf adults. And... Uh, Great date night movie. Like this is a is a feel good movie. It's fantastic. It's funny. It's got some tropes that like you're familiar with, but it's also like, hey, like this is interesting. A slice of life that I've never encountered and never seen, and and they grow. And gosh, these high schoolers seem grown up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like an Oscar nominee, like I I don't I don't understand. I don't understand why this is an Oscar nominee and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more in our Oscar episode, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. My wife and I enjoyed it a good amount. Yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what we've done over this last week. I don't think I watched anything with my kids this week. I'm trying to think if, if Coda should be an Oscar nominee and I may, I am in no way an authority on Oscar nominees, but it seems like if there's a, a base of people that kind of like the movie, and it seems like Coda has that. I, I like I've, I've heard it has that in spades. People, yeah. people are really turning out in in very strong support of Coda, especially recently. Yeah, and if if it's that plus something that has like a strong emotional re- that people have a strong emotional reaction to, I feel like that's usually that that's usually an Oscar kind of movie. I think you were more you were more referencing sort of at least when we were discussing the qualitative nature of the movie, not so much the subject matter. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, I guess I just find it, I found it kind of cheesy, and like, like, I mean, I don't know, I I don't think, I don't really want to like drag Coda through the mud, like it's a, it's a beautiful movie about, about a kid growing up, and about deaf people, and they have three deaf actors, but like, okay, this is a remake of a movie that, of an international film from a few years ago, a French film that is basically the same story. And it's just really weird to me. It's weird to me on a lot of levels that this is, this is nominated because it feels kind of like an Oscar or or like a Hallmark movie. And it feels like it's not really believable in the end. I think like it's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to rake it through the mud. Sometimes, sometimes Oscar nominations feel, and this is the pessimist in me speaking, but Sometimes they feel like it's it's the the powers that be saying we want more movies like this made, mm. and in in that sense, I do agree. Like I I really like how unique it is. The you know it is portraying a slice of life that we never get to see, or I never even thought about before. To be honest, before watching this movie, and so I I, I did appreciate a lot of things about it, and my wife and I really liked it a lot. But I I do agree with you as far as like generally production value it does seem a bit out of place to say like yeah this is in the top six movies or whatever top eight movies of of the year yeah it's not peak cinema right (laughs) i guess i'm just holding a grudge because my favorite my favorites are not in here come on no come on come on no french dispatch no french dispatch at all (laughs) 
but yet Nightmare Alley is here, you Night- know? And I'm kind of like, what are you, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> no, last like Night- no, last no last duel. No last duel. Uh, yeah. No last duel, yeah. you know? No Green Knight anywhere. No Green Knight anywhere. Like, come on, what's up with this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. Better. upset for my guess guess what my favorites this is what the oscars are like <laughs> every year this <laughs> every is what year. they're like <laughs> you didn't choose my favorites what's wrong with you <laughs> what's up <laughs> very good no i wanted to i actually kind of wanted to go last because i wanted to share something that was not movie related because uh due to circumstances with my job um it's been difficult to be able to watch stuff and it's been very frustrating for me but there has been something that i've been i've been talking with so recently I was passed over for a very big promotion at work that I've been working towards for a long time. It was very depressing to receive that news. They went another direction with someone who was more experienced and skilled, apparently, than I am. I understand that business concerns are what they are, but I had been waiting for this and had been promised it for quite some time, and it was very shattering uh, to be denied it, to be passed over. And I, it so happened, like the day after this happened, I saw on Twitter that there was a podcast that was trending called Dead Eyes, and it's described as an actor named Connor Ratliff, who was fired by Tom Hanks in a small role in the TV miniseries Band of Brothers in 2000. He was fired because he was described as having dead eyes. Now, this is remarkable for a couple reasons I'll break down very quickly. Usually when someone is let go from a creative project like that, as I've heard from many people because I've been listening to this podcast, you will not be told why. You will just be told you are not a good fit. And that's fair. Like the director wants somebody you don't look like that person or you can't do what the director wants you to do. It's totally fair. There's no personal judgment on you. You're just not what they're looking for. What happened to this guy was it was a tiny role, like three lines, one episode, one scene, and he was hired. Then he was told, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You are fired now because you have dead eyes, the casting director told him. And he was like, that's really disheartening. I like, I, You gave me the money. Like, I have the job. And so the casting agency freaked out and they said, okay, well, you need to come read for Tom Hanks. So he goes in, he does the scene, his three little lines. It's, it's like one character. He got to come in and give the guy give coffee. And he says like, yes, sir. Of course, sir. I'll get the coffee, sir. It's like, it's that small. And he does it. And Tom Hanks is there. And Tom Hanks is like, great. You know, wish there was more than that. It was, it was a really tiny scene. He walked out, still fired. And it like broke him. It broke him for a really long time that he didn't get this because this would have like broken his career wide open. You know, he you're in Band of Brothers. Everyone that's been, been in Band of Brothers has like succeeded really intensely. Everyone, almost every male lead actor that we know of that's working today had a hand in Band of Brothers. Yeah. Tom Hardy had a hand yeah. in Band of Brothers. Okay. Yeah. And so he left acting for a really long time. You know, he was he was a comedian and he went out and worked, worked at a bookstore for a really long time. And then he got this idea. What if I started the podcast? What if I started at like, he knows all sorts of, of Hollywood people, like low, like, you know, comedians. And he's like, what if I just get people on and talk to them about how they got fired? And I tell my story. He, this has gone on for three seasons and it has concluded. His series has concluded with him having an hour and a half conversation with Tom Hanks about why Tom Hanks fired him. But oh, cool. this, this podcast has been on since 2020. It's gone on wow. three seasons. He's had everyone from like Seth Rogen on. He's had uh, Janet from The Good Place on. He's had tons of people like Ron Livingston um, to come on and talk about it. And they're all like, you have the hardest firing story I've ever heard. <laughs> like, like that is devastating. Would, Seth Rogen's like, that would kill me. <laughs> and Seth Rogen was also denied a part on Band of Brothers. He was passed over as well. Uh, well but imagine if yeah. Seth Rogen was on Band of Brothers. They actually do a, They actually do a reading of the scene that they were that he Seth Rogen and Ron Livingston Ron Livingston is the main guy from Office Space just right. so you know who got a part who was in it yeah. yeah they all did the scene together over Zoom 
and acted it out. They all sound great. Um, but the thing that's so engaging about the show is it's a reflection on the ties between personal and professional life, how much that means to you. The episode I just listened to is called Piss Siblings. And he has, he has Tony Hale on, you know, uh, Buster, uh, who he's yeah. really good friends with. And Buster oh, yeah. said something I thought was revelatory. He said, investing in your career before investing in your community is the number one reason why most people fail. He's like, stop pushing other people aside to get ahead because you will find yourself alone. You need to practice contentment where you're at because once you get what you want, if you're not used to being content, you'll never be content. Invest in the people around you, in your community, who will bolster you up, who will comfort you, who you will comfort. We are not meant to live in isolation. And that was really amazing to me because I do this thing with you guys every week, which is just about that. It's just about investing it in my community. And I really took it to heart. And this podcast has, mean, has meant a lot to me. And it's, it's stupid on the face of it. And, and the guy knows it's stupid. He's very self-reflective. And, but it's, it's still a, a really engaging time, especially like for me now personally where I'm at, to hear about how he got passed over for something that would have kind of made his professional career. And I'm kind of in the same boat, but he's looking back on it from 20 years in the future. And I'm doing it right now. And I get to learn sort of the steps that he took it's great. It's called Dead Eyes and you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. And that that's what I've been quote unquote watching. That's what bits that's been what's up with me. That sounds fantastic. Cool. Um yeah. real quick, because I really want to Google this guy and look at his eyes. Oh, what is the guy's name? Connor Ratliff. Just Google just Google Dead Eyes Podcast and he'll come up. Because he's got Connor. kind of a difficult name. Oh. Also, he asks every single guest, <laughs> Do I have dead eyes? <laughs> um, they say yes. No. I, I know. I, I see what Tom Hanks is talking about. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's really incredible about the pod is that wow. and about the role is that it was three lines. It was one episode, one scene, and he got recast. So I'm really looking forward to getting through the. I'm in season two of the show, and they're easy episodes, like 45 minute episodes. Um, and he's been in stuff that you know. He's like he's been in Veep. He's been in. Uh, he's been in Orange Is the New Black. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Is if you've listened to the one with Tom Hanks, I'm building up to it. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to listen to the first one and then do the last one, but I got really engaged because he started it as him having like kind of no one to talk to. But the longer he does the show, he kind of tells you in real time. He's like, and then this guy reached out to me and then this guy reached out to me and he, he'll play the voicemails. The guy's like, hey, I, I was showing your podcast. You know, I'm Ron Livingston. I was on Band of Brothers. Like if you ever wanted to talk, like we could talk. And all these people are coming out like Seth Rogen is, is like, hey, man, love your pod. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. I, and eventually I hear that Colin Hanks is on the episode too. Tom Hanks's son. Oh, great. I just want to yeah. see like, where yeah. does the story go? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a Netflix show or something. So that that's a that's what I've been up to, and that's I don't know I, I don't usually get that personal on on these, but uh, it was it was a revelation for me today, so I wanted to share. Yeah, thanks for sharing. But man, he totally has dead eyes. I'm looking at his eyes. He, he has dead eyes. <laughs> I don't think so. I've seen you got to see him in motion. Watch a video clip of him because dead eyes seems to imply that there's no life in you, and when he's acting, he 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 seems quite vibrant. I, I'm sure he does, but I like as a still picture, like he has like a blank. He has he has mastered the blank face and his eyes are kind of no I, I think I think, I think you might be being needlessly cruel. <laughs> <laughs> I I am behind Connor Ratliff. I think it's a great story. I think that people should check it out. Anyway, Mike, well, so that's what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. So getting into our movie, our movie this week. What's our movie this week again? Palm Springs. Palm Springs from 2020, the end of our time loop series. So for cast and crew, this is comes from a first time director, uh, Max. 
Barbacow, I think is how you say it, uh, written by him and Andy Ciara, starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons. I think most people will know all three of those names, but in case you don't know Kristen Milioti, she's the mother from How I Met Your Mother. That's the easy one. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. Yeah. She's got the really big eyes, dark Her hair, eyes kind of, kind of are the so big. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they do the, when they do the coat, the, him, Andy Samberg, and her next to each other, and you see Andy Samberg's eyes, and then the camera moves over to her eyes. You're like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> <laughs> really big. Yeah, it's, it's like, like most that. of your face. Yeah. <laughs> so this came out in 2020, and I guess I, I want to start out by asking: There's obviously no real nostalgia, I guess, but maybe there is. Um, what, what's like a first impression? Um, I don't know. Who wants to go first? You know, oh. I've got some nostalgia here. I feel like so. Ooh. This came out in 2020, and I think I guess I watched it in 2021. But this, like, for the first time, but I watched it, like, I've watched it three times now, and it was a movie that really encapsulated, like, my feelings about the pandemic (laughs) days early on, which feels like forever ago um, at this point. And so, like, there's some really, like, watching it again a year later after I'd seen it for the first time, I was like, huh, like, I remember the feelings that this brought out for me as a, like, mid-pandemic human which was interesting. Like, it was really weird. I was like, oh, yeah, remember that? Remember those feelings? I'm like, I was just a year ago. It wasn't that long ago. I really loved it the first time I saw it. And I watched it by myself. And I was like, I got to watch this with my wife. <laughs> and so we watched it together like a week later and loved it again. Third time around, it loses some of its charm, I'd yeah. say. That's OK. It's still really enjoyable. I mean, yeah, it is. It is. You watch it three times in, yeah. in the space of 12 months. That's yeah. a lot to watch That's a movie. A lot of times I've watch, <laughs> watched most movies that often. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do either of you have, uh, Jesse or Dan, do either of you have nostalgia for the pandemic days? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to rhyme with Mike on this. I didn't see this in 2020. I saw this in 2021. Or like early 2021. But like, yeah, definitely made me think of like 2020 early pandemic days. The days where I didn't leave my house for weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I just like would go out at night and drink a beer walking around my neighborhood. <laughs> nice. I think I remember being on the phone with you a couple of those times. <laughs> I, I'm sure. You, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened. Yeah, I rhyme with Andy Samberg in this movie yeah. <laughs> because of yeah. because of that time. I just yeah. wish I had a pizza inflatable. I I, know. I wish I I wish I had a pool to dive into every day. At least we had that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the worst places to get stuck in a time loop. And it's a yeah. wedding, so there's like there's un, like there's endless booze and food and a couple hundred people to talk to. You know, it really makes me think of the early 2020 days. And I think I really really liked the movie when I first saw it because of that. Now that I'm a little more distance from those days, I think I like the movie less simply because of that. It feels. It doesn't feel quite as relatable to me anymore because, I don't know, Arizona COVID restrictions haven't really been a thing for a year and a half. So it's not nearly as fresh as it used to be. Uh, I still like it. It's still a fun time. But yeah, that, that's what I got for this movie. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I, I think I watched it. I, I think it might have been 2020 that I watched it. I went on a binge of watching time loop movies, actually, at one point. <laughs> And it was, um, I think it was around the time that Boss Level came out, the oh, yeah. <laughs> the Mel Gibson thing. <laughs> and then also the Happy Death Day. I watched that yep. one. Like, I kind of just wanted to watch anything that was of this weird 
subgenre and well, it's like we talked about. There's a bunch of them that came out. Like it was weird. Like so many of them came out in the space of like three years. Like you throw a rock and you hit another one. Yeah. And it, it's funny you keep saying time loop romances. It made me ask myself, like, is there anything but time lo- time loop romances? Like, could you make something that's not a romance that's also a time loop? Right. Maybe that's for later in the episode. Ask a question. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I watched this a while back, and I I definitely. I was totally surprised by it. I thought it was going to be really dumb. I, at the time, I had never watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine before, so I didn't really know Andy Samberg or anything that he had done. I actually, up to that point, I think I I always thought that he and Jesse Eisenberg were the same person. <laughs> oh, I could see uh, that. that. That's, that's yeah, kind of yeah. fair, yeah. yeah. Like, I, had see, I guess I had seen him in, like, some SNL stuff, and I had seen him. I'm on um, a boat. Yeah, <laughs> I threw it all on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And I think he had showed up in a couple Parks and Rec episodes, but yeah. I, it was just like I had only seen him in a few places. And then I saw Jesse Eisenberg, who kind of, I think, kind of looks similar. He has a similar he name. does. It's the, the curly hair. And, and they also both speak very quickly. And they have Berg at the end of their name. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of similarities. Yeah. Similarities. It's just endless, endless. Uh, so yeah, Both that funny was looking. They're always in comedic roles, but um, yeah. So that's, that's my nostalgia, I guess. What about you, Vito? Um, it, it was, it's actually a little bit closer to yours. I saw it when it came out. So I, I never got the pandemic experience that everyone else did. So you guys, you, you guys all know this, but um, my, I, I classified as an essential worker. Um, so I never got the lockdown. I never got the stuck in my house. I had to go out every day and work across the county and it sucked. It was really bad. It was, it was scary in those early days. And, and so everyone was talking about being at home all the time. And the only way I could really relate is that I didn't get to see any of my friends, but I still had to go to work. Like nothing changed except my life got worse. <laughs> this movie was, was kind of like a balm, kind of in the middle of that, in the middle of that starting really, because this came out really close to the beginning of the pandemic. And it, it was really nice to be able to see a comedy from this, you know, the quote unquote safety of my house to kind of not feel so alone. I do agree that it seems weirder now, but I think that that's probably just the residual memories. So when I say, I don't, I didn't know if anyone had nostalgia, I do not miss those days, which is kind of essential to the idea of nostalgia. Yeah, I do yeah. not want to go back in any way. I remember what it was like when I first saw it. I don't want that again. Um, so I have zero nostalgia <laughs> for this, but I enjoyed it. Uh, and I've enjoyed it several times. My wife really likes this movie. She's seen it um, uh, quite a few times. And uh, so I've seen it in bits and pieces. And I think I've seen it all together two or three times. But it, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's a, it's a good time. And at that time, I needed a good time. And mm-hmm. watching it again, I, was, I had like PTSD flashbacks to when things were really shitty. <laughs> uh, and I, I didn't enjoy that as much. But <laughs> separating that experience from the movie, I think it's, I think it's a great it's a great comedy. I think it does bring a couple new things to the table, or at least it explores some new ideas. Um, it begins to, and uh, maybe we can get into that. But I do have to say, <clears throat> I will never show this to my children. This is not. This is not for them. <laughs> this is a for me <laughs> movie. Uh, this is a for me and my wife only movie. If they mention they've seen it, I will greet them with a "Oh yeah, that's funny," <laughs> and I will not engage in it in any further capacity. This movie is raunchy. It is R-rated. And uh, it, it's it's quite crude, and that's why I like it. But also, I don't want to share those things um, with my kids, not not in this way. What about like they're twenty five and they reach out to you and they're like, 
hey, Dad, like, I need a funny movie to watch. You will find it if they want to find it. The first, if, yeah. if my kid asks me for a funny movie, it, the first thing that comes to mind is not Palm Springs. Right. And it's no, that's yeah. no shade on Palm Springs, but that's not what's springing to mind. Now, if they said specifically, Dad, is there a movie that came out between 2020 and 2022 that was sort of like a, a lighthearted R-rated comedy involving two people who fall in love across a time loop? Then, you know, that one may spring to mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I might just say, I don't know, maybe you should Google your query. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really feel like I want to engage with my kids regards to this. But similarly, like The Hangover, similarly, yeah, like yeah. Even like forgetting Sarah Marshall, which I love a lot. That's kind of like a me movie. Yeah, that, that's how I feel. How do you feel, Mike? You no show this way. To your kids? Uh-uh. When? Uh-huh. Like, I'm like not going to show this to my 13? kids. No, <laughs> nope. If they encounter it, I'm great. Yeah, happy for them. But I don't really want to talk to them about Palm Springs. Like, it's um, I really love this movie in a lot of ways, and uh, I don't know if this is going to be something that people like. This seems very much for like millennials who are 30 ish, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know who's going to relate to this movie. Like, I don't know if our kids are going to. And, uh, if my kid's 25 and and reaches out for a comedy, like I'm guessing they're not looking for an R rated raunchy comedy about like searching for love in in their thirties. Like they want something funny. (laughs) They want a funny movie. So I don't know what I'd say. Um, I don't know. Have they watched Kung Fu Panda? Panda? Have they watched Life of Brian yet? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be like Monty Python. Come on, like one of the classics. But I do yeah. love it, though. Yeah. Like it's not that doesn't diminish my love for it. Just because I don't want to yeah. show it to my kids. Just because it's very adult themed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's basically. Yeah. I'm basically the same way. I'm never going to say, "Hey, you guys should really watch this movie." <laughs> the only way I'm going to talk about this movie with my kids. Is if they reach out to me and like, ah, I saw this movie, Dan, Palm Springs. I, I, seems like it was up your alley. I can't believe you've never seen it because you've never mentioned this movie. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, you know what? I have seen that a couple times. It's pretty funny. Remember that scene with the cake and the bomb? Yeah, that was great. Um, I would like to forward you to the hour and a half podcast I did with my buddies when you were five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In that specific scenario, this this will come up in conversation. Otherwise, no, it's never going to come up. It's enough for me, dog. What about you, Dan? <laughs> I totally feel the same way. I'm just trying to think of, there's a lot of movies that fall into this, like immediately, like the Deadpool movies came to mind yeah. or, um, I will similarly be, be mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like irks me that that's the case. Like even, even movies like cabin in the woods or something, where there is adult mm. content, but it's mm. also such a great movie. And and it's like, at what point would it even come up that I'd say, yeah, like you should watch Cabin in the Woods or you should watch. Well, it's like when you're talking about that, like I, I hear Deadpool and then I hear Cabin in the Woods, which I think is actually like a pretty elevated, pretty clever uh, horror movie, kind of like Scream, where it's 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 horror, it's horrifying, it's kind of scary, but it's actually kind of more about horror movies. And in that way, there's some sort of like intellectual exercise you could do. I could totally yeah. see watching Cabin in the Woods with my adult child and having a really fun time yeah. because there's something else to it, right? I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but I, I just wanted to, to, to say that is that I, I feel like I would be pro Cabin in the Woods for adult kids. Adult kid wants to watch Deadpool with me. I'm sorry, I'm not your bro. Like, <laughs> you should find a bro to watch that with. <laughs> yeah. 
and maybe maybe that's it is that there are movies that are not they're not made for parent kid audiences and that's okay maybe that's maybe that's just the way the universe is and that's okay so maybe that's what i'm struggling with but yeah i i don't think i would ever recommend this to my kids even 25 year old kid so i'm probably in the same boat i'm just i don't know this is something i have to still wrestle with in my mind of like is there any context that i would maybe if i was like hey you should watch all the groundhog day movies there's also this raunchy one it's kind of raunchy. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. I could see, yeah. But I don't know when I would give that list or how that could possibly come up. Yeah. It kind of sucks though, that most of the really funny movies that we've grown up with and like are, are not, I guess not most of them, but like raunchy ones that we think are really funny. We're not really going to show to our kids. Cause that's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, there's, there's a lot of funny movies that I will watch with my kids. There's, there's a lot of them. But there's also a lot of them where, I mean, they're rated R for a reason. I don't feel the need to transgress necessarily and show them something that has a lot of objectively filthy content before they're ready for it. And I, I could see mm-hmm. watching, I could see watching Bridesmaids with with an adult daughter of mine. I could see, I could see enjoying creating Sarah Marshall with an adult daughter of mine. But the thing is, is that there has to be some life experience. I don't, I don't know about that happens. Uh, I, I'm not talking about your kids. There has to be some life experience there that you can rely on. You have to trust that they're an independent person that is growing on their own, right? But I mean, like, I don't know. Totally gonna do. Totally gonna do Holy Grail. Totally gonna do Airplane. These are things that, are, yeah. I just imagine like sitting down with my mom and being like, "Hey, do you want to watch a funny movie? Here's Palm Springs." That would go over like a lead balloon. I wouldn't work. And like, I feel like if but you're that's, di- but your parents are different than you. That's they true. They're going to be to your kids. And I'm different. I'm going to be different from my kids. Yeah. And like, I don't think they're going to enjoy it if they watch it with me or hear about it through me in any way too. Like this is just, well, I feel like the movie is about like peers. It's about a relationship of peers. And like, I think that's maybe why it resonates with all of us in a way that yeah. it doesn't resonate with our kids. Cause they're five or something. I don't know. Yeah, my, my, my kid is four years old. Yeah. I have no concept of what she'll be like as an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I, I just had this this terrible thought of the first time where my daughter will recommend a movie to me and I'll watch it and I won't believe that she recommended that movie to me because I know <laughs> this is going to happen one day. Just like just like you just mentioned, like Mike going over and showing his mom, Palm Springs, like there's always that sort of movie that I think I did with my parents. I can't remember which one. But like, I know my kids are going to do that to me. Yeah, Ugh, I'm not looking yeah. forward to that. But I, I wonder what that movie because then, then there'll be adults. I don't. It, it's it's exciting in some way. Yeah, I, I'm really curious as, as to what movie this will be. Yeah. How old this age? Yeah. And in fact, I'm actually more curious about that than I usually am when we do like a new release. Like we didn't ask when we did Godzilla versus Kong, how is this movie going to age? We didn't ask that. It's clear it will age. Like milk. Uh, <laughs> it's it's been a year since that movie came out, and I uh, haven't heard a peep in about eleven months. It's <laughs> true. true. In a lot of ways, you could say that we were the final word on Godzilla versus Kong because we came out like three weeks after it came out. I'm excited for that. I, I'm excited yeah. for the future. The future is exciting because it's different. Yeah. And it's possible that this movie will remain within our wheelhouse and never be a movie that relates to any other generation, like. This is totally like will, a cult classic, maybe. Yeah. 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 Like people our age will always like and refer to each other, but 
not refer to other generations. Existential crises involving multiple timelines and time loops are, they might be particular enough to just be our thing. (laughs) Yeah. Is that a millennial thing? I mean, Dan Harmon's not a millennial, but he's the one that's been writing the most of them. (laughs) That's true. And I mean, like, he kind of is the voice of, uh, he's created the most content, I feel like. This crazy bearded 50-year-old something man is like the voice for millennials. I don't understand. He's getting so healthy. He's getting so healthy. I'm really proud of him. Remember when he was like kind of a fat alcoholic? Yeah. And now he's like doing carpentry and exercising and making little funny songs. He's such a good carpenter. I'm really jealous. Uh, He's basically like Nick Offerman now. Kind he of, is. yeah. Bigger <laughs> beard, yeah. Bigger beard. It's like he's got a Santa Claus beard. Yeah. All right. Well, let, okay. Let's let's jump let's jump somewhere else then. Um, Jesse, could you give us your favorite scene? I've got a lot of favorite scenes, but my absolute favorite scene is just a little snippet. It's during the whole montage of them doing crazy things, and it, there's the bomb in the cake, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes up with a bow and arrow. And says, there's a bomb in the cake. And and he pulls something out of the cake. And it's shocking because you don't actually, because you're wondering, like, oh, like maybe they, maybe he's just going to mess up the cake and just be real ass and put it on, put it on the bow and arrow. No, no, there's an actual bomb in the cake. <laughs> and he takes out the bomb, puts it on the bow and arrow and launches it. And it explodes. Like, this isn't a fake bomb. This is a real <laughs> bomb that he placed to the cake that is about to explode. And it goes <laughs> off. And then... And then Kristen Milioti comes out and she has an eye patch and a hook and <laughs> a really cheesy villain accent saying, I foiled, foiled me again. <laughs> and <laughs> in the middle of a wedding, it's so great. The, the whole situation is so strange and it's, it's definitely up there of things I would like to try if I was stuck in a time loop. And I love the surprise of that scene, the surprise of how it actually goes, that there's an actual bomb. And they're just there. And there's a bomb just for shits and giggles. That's it. <laughs> Imagine the days where he wasn't able to shoot it away from them. <laughs> How many times did they actually blow up? Exactly. Yeah. And where did they get the bomb? Like, where did this thing come from? I mean, yeah. you get to retain the knowledge. I mean, that that's the whole thing, like, near the end of the movie, right? When she comes back. I, how long would it take to conceivably figure out how to make a bomb? Like, a, like a week? You got, you got, you got 24 yeah. hours, you know? She had to time. get C4, though. I think C4 yes. is hard to get in a day. Well, but. they knew the guy. They knew the guy with the with the thing, with the guns yeah. and the yeah. wife. He had a bunch of a bunch of bombs. Ah, uh, that makes Illegal sense. Legal weapons. Yeah. The writer of the anarchist cookbook. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not yeah. the That's father. It's a great yeah. of Andy Sandberg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh yeah, my my favorite scene is very much I think right before or right after that one. Um, it's them dancing in the bar. It's so, <laughs> it's so quirky and it's so ridiculous. And it's like a perfect little like picture of their relationship and how weird they are and how they're perfect for each other because they're so weird together. And the music is so weird. It's like this weird techno synthetic thing. And it's, it's just perfect and weird. And I think in, in that like 20 seconds, it just shows what I love about the movie, just how funny it is and how random it is. And it doesn't care to be random. Yeah. That little dance scene is, is priceless. Yeah. I, it's up there like top tier hilarious scenes for me in movies. Nice. I, I, I laugh out loud every time I watch that scene. It, it's a lot of those like non sequiturs, like either 
you know, talking about both your scenes too, that, that you can really, at least I can really feel the Andy Samberg nature, yeah. right? Like and it, the skit yeah. vibe. Yeah. Let's just, let's just do like a quick joke. I mean, it'll be like 10 seconds of screen time. It'll take half a day to set up to shoot, but it'll be really funny. <laughs> yeah. How about yours, so Mike? Great. You got to find your Irvine, man. It's a good scene. You got to find your Irvine. This is when they're sitting out back. Yeah. When Andy Samberg goes to, uh, what's his name? Roy. Yeah. To Roy's house. He finally makes it out to Irvine where Roy lives and wakes up every, every day. And it's like the most serious scene in the movie. Yeah. And Roy talks about, well, he's, he's, he's got his kids there. They're weird. So <laughs> they're really like, weird. This is a weird family. <laughs> this is a very odd family. Like, the guy shows up, which is weird. He's like knocking on the door, making all sorts of noise. And all the neighbors are like, what is going on here? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just a weird family. And, and Roy is just like, you know what? I had a lot of anger and a lot of anger, but, <laughs> but then I realized it was always a good day here. And like, there's my son. He's, he's watering shit. <laughs> he's watering a pile of dog shit. It's beautiful. <laughs> this is a beautiful life. And I'm never going to, I'm never going to walk my daughter down the aisle. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but man, isn't it wonderful that I get to see her. I was just like, it was beautiful. It was like this, this nugget of, um, of truth buried under this sort of hilariously awkward situation. And just that line, you got to find your Irvine. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous and, and hilarious. Like, yeah. have you been to Irvine? Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's, it's funny that someone would call Irvine a parody. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people love Irvine. Irvine's a pretty nice place in some ways. A lot of people love Irvine. I am not one of them. It's like, it's, it's, it's like fine. corporate. You, you know, have to live there. I wouldn't want to live yeah. there. That's not like my dreams place, you know? No. Ventura is my dream place. That's a good town. Good for you. Yeah, it's a good town. <laughs> is so for those of us that are not from California, is it like a suburban? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a high class suburbia. So it's Orange County. Okay. And um, the OC. But like inland, there's a lot of like really large houses and developments. Lawns. Lawns. Yeah. I don't know. It's very it's, clean. It's not it's not Bel Air, but it's yeah. very nice. Yeah. Like right. Roy coming in with his hat to the wedding is like that that's classic Irvine to me. Yeah, it's a little it's like what is what, what does he say about the hat? Like it's like, do you like it? And and he's like, Oh yeah. It's like of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um actually yeah. it's funny. My favorite scene is also involving Roy because J.K. Simmons is a national treasure. Oh yes. Yeah. And he does yeah. not deserve to be Oscar nominated for his role in being in the Ricardos, <laughs> but I'm happy he is Oscar nominated. <laughs> Just not for that movie. <laughs> but my favorite moment is the one that I, I I laugh the hardest at every single time, and it's when the first time that we see Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, right? They go out to the desert, they're making out, things are getting hot and heavy. And then Andy Samberg gets shot with an arrow. It's <laughs> out of nowhere. And, and, and Kristen Milioti says, the f And Andy Samberg just says, you're a sick f Roy. <laughs> I thought I smell you. I thought I smelled you. And then he's, and then J.K. Simmons is like, keep running shit bird. I will always find you. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's it's I, I I really did not watch like trailers for this movie. I tried to watch it as cold as I could, and I knew there was a time loop somewhere in here. But it's so shocking the first time that you see it. At least it was for me that I also yeah. didn't know. I was on Kristen Milioti's side. I was like, "What the f- is going on? What is happening?" And I love that she continues to scream in the background. <laughs> yeah, this has 
Yeah, that is such a great reveal because all the clues are there. He says today and tomorrow are the same and he's at the wedding in a Hawaiian shirt drinking a beer during the ceremony and you're just like, all right. Great speech. Maybe it's just a quirky guy who is in a Hawaiian shirt when everybody else is in suits. And then he's like doing the dance and he knows he's like taking drinks from people's hands and putting them back without breaking eye contact and like shoving a chair under somebody who's just about to fall over backwards and stuff. So like it's there. Like, you know, that guy had to rehearse that like a thousand times in order to get it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't see the arrow coming. (laughs) <laughs> you're a and just that line you're a sick f- Roy. it's just really funny <laughs> really good the way he says so it too, like he's he's almost not phased by the fact that he's been shot yeah. with an arrow because it's, it's revealed later he has died in much worse ways um <laughs> he got burned in a, in a swimming pool of gas like <laughs> oh my gosh that montage was amazing <laughs> yeah we don't need a suicide montage. We needed a murder montage. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's yeah, also- that was just genius. Like yeah. they put someone else in there, put someone else in the time loop who hates the main guy. Yes. There you go. You have, you have an immortal enemy and you have an immortal love. And now in this like cool kind of push pull circumstance, now we're creating real drama. That's not just internal, even though there is also internal struggle. Um, I think that the layering of drama is also what gives some of the bigger laughs in the movie too, because you feel like you know these people so much better. Whereas like in Groundhog Day, we like Rita. We don't really get to know Rita beyond her accidental attributes. We get to know Phil, but Phil's really the only person we get to know. And in here, I really feel like I know these three leads pretty well by the end of the movie. And I think that's that's a big strength of it is is by opening up the time loop, we get to explore more people. Yeah, um, yeah. Even with Edge of Tomorrow, I don't really feel like I knew that Rita that well either. No, no, yeah. Yeah, and I think with the fact that they all have so much time, like J.K. Simmons' character, he has just as much time, like years and years to develop himself, and that lends depth to his character. Like you immediately are listening more attentively to what he's going to say because you know that he's lived 20, 30, who knows how many years in this time loop with Andy Samberg. So it's like you kind of give more ear to what he's going to say, or like, you know what, the, what he's going to say is going to be impactful or it's going to be interesting at the very least. And I, yeah. I like that about this one is, yeah, you have more characters with more perspectives on getting stuck in a time loop. And I, I think that's kind of unique about this. Yeah. Cause I was trying to think like, what is this movie? You know, Mike, this is a question mm. that you yeah. had is sort of what this, what this movie adds to the genre. And so I I don't think it's alone in adding people to the loop. For instance, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, we we switch characters in the sequel to go to someone who's very tangential in the first movie. And we add, and we make him do the time loop stuff. It's basically like if Edge of Tomorrow was two movies, right? (laughs) But what's interesting is that I'm having a really hard time thinking about a movie beyond like Primer that had two characters at least that are undergoing the time loop together. And Primer, of course, is like doing something way different than this. And it feels unique in that way. Uh, the one that does have the map of tiny perfect things. Yeah. Is that two? Is is two. And that's spoilers for that movie because it is a, a reveal like a third of the way in that there's a second person stuck in the loop. And it's also a, a, like a romance. They, you know, of course it is. Yeah, like they are the two stuck in the time loop. Of course, yeah. they're going to like grow and develop and get in arguments and everything. But now that I'm hearing it, I think maybe maybe three. Three is something that we haven't seen before. And that's also really cool. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of shocked that there aren't more. You know what? No, this has happened before. Back to the Future 
which is loosely a time loop movie. There, uh, Back to the Future Part Two has its Doc and Marty, and there's Biff. I think that's yeah. a time travel movie. I don't think I would call eh. a time loop movie a time travel movie. Those are very different things. Like they create but a loop, but but I wouldn't call the Terminator a time loop movie. It creates a loop in it, but I wouldn't call it that, you know? Yeah, but in the second one, they're going back to the to the thing that they've already done before. They're repeating. It's looping. So in that case, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is a time loop movie? Actually, yes. Yes. It, it is an accidental. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't care. Um, I, like, <laughs> I, like, no, this, this is unique. Like, like the fact this, this is a small movie that has three characters in it, right? Yeah. And everyone else is like a, an, an NPC. Yeah. And I think that is what's unique about this one as opposed to maybe Back to the Future. Back to the Future is like huge in scale, even though it's focused on a few on a yeah. few people. Like this is this is a bottle episode. Like, Wait, Mike, how is, do you feel about bottle episodes? I love bottle episodes. I think bottle episodes, episodes is your new seminal. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like bottle episodes are seminal to who I am as a person. You see, and now, um, now you're incepting. Now you're yeah, time looping. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm the time lord. No, yeah, like... Uh, but but what makes it really awesome is that like none of them are connected before this sort of happens and it they become connected sort of extremely accidentally. And we've got just extremely large emotions and a lot of the past that's coming in with each of them as mm-hmm. they enter into this this, you know, continuous loop, which I think yeah. is really uh really unique too. Is like when we do have mm-hmm. like whatever sort of timey wimey movie it's usually people who are like closely connected who go into that loop, it seems like, or go into that timey wimey stuff. But here, like, yeah, yeah there's, there's none. Yeah. And, and here, I think that that enables us to make something that's like, so it's unique because we've got these three separate characters who have this background. What makes it very unique is the fact that each of the characters are real in a way that I don't think like Groundhog Day, the only real character is Phil. He's Everyone a, he else. is a god. He he is a god, and and the movie's about Phil and about his growth as a human. This one is about the growth of three separate individuals as a human, sort of through each other, but also sort of apart from one another, which I think is really fascinating. It's unique here. It's it's unique in general. It's very. It's not very often. I feel like you have a movie where people sort of like they encounter each other and like oh shit, and then they sort of come apart and sort of process what they went through. But it is, but that is actually kind of a rom-com staple. Yeah. Right. Is that there is always the moment where they, where the breakup true. occurs. But <laughs> the difference here is that it's not, it's not just a romantic breakup. It's, it's an everything breakup. The enemy has stopped hunting Andy Samberg and he's yeah. like, where'd he go? Like I am used to getting <laughs> tortured on the daily. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that's kind of what elevates it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just, they yeah. fell out of love and then there's a climactic scene where they get back together. Yeah. But also any one of these individuals normally have their own movie associated with them in other time loop movies. Like Roy is he's basically Phil. Like he <laughs> his arc is very similar to Phil's. Like he learns to live in this present moment and learns to appreciate this day. This day is great. And before he had wanted to escape the day and go to the wedding, right? But now he's there and, and do coke and get drunk, I'm assuming, at the wedding. But now he wants to be here with his kids. And and that's his that's his arc. And I love how Andy has a completely separate arc. He he kind of he kind of wants to be stuck here a little bit, a little bit. I mean, he asks uh, he asks her to stay with him. Yeah, you know, yeah. In the mm-hmm. loop. Yeah, yeah. It's more comforting for him to be there than to I don't know continue on with who knows what. 
Can you imagine um, being in a time loop for so long you kind of forget you have a dog and a job and what that job was? Like, that's I crazy. See, I don't think he ever did. I just think he... Oh, can, can we talk about that scene? When when they talk about, like, about the past and how, how the past is important. Um, I mean, I mean, he, like, specifically says, like, he it's, he seems like he's remembering and it's, like, difficult for him. That's what I mean. Yeah, I, I think he's covering up. I don't... I think he doesn't want to. I thought there was going to be a reveal later on, kind of like the reveal of Kristen's character that she is, you know, she was cheating with her, the the groom mm-hmm. to be. And so I thought that when he didn't reveal what he did as for a living, I thought it was going to be something embarrassing or something that he wouldn't want people to know. And, and then there wasn't. So I, I actually thought that that meant he really did forget, like he had been in it, for enough years yeah. and enough time has gone by that he literally does not remember who he was before the time loop. I think I would believe that if it wasn't for the fact that he remembered his dog at the end when the dog I mean, hadn't come up and he probably hadn't thought about him for, I mean, I many, sure many, as many, hell many, remember many my years. dog before I remember my, my job, you know, like I, I would remember my job yeah, for I, a really long time, but I mean, my dog is, I don't know if I'll ever forget my first dog like ever. She was such a big deal to my life. Dog Dogs are not quite people, but they're real close. Uh, at least that's how I've always had dogs. I love them. Like I would, if I was in a time loop for 30 years, 50 years, I would probably forget that I was an HVAC guy, you know, that I did refrigeration. I would probably forget that. But my first dog, never. I just got the impression that it was just too painful to remember what happened before. And also like he's gotten into this mentality of the past doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I mean, she mentioned something like you need to remember the past so you don't repeat the same mistakes, whereas he can repeat the same mistakes however many times he wants because it'll never come to bite him in the ass. Um, Yeah, he's got the candy bar and he's like, the piece of the candy bar that doesn't exist anymore (laughs) doesn't matter. (laughs) The only thing that matters is the next bite that I take. Yeah, it's more like it doesn't really mean much to him anymore. It's not that I really think he, he still remembers his past life. I think they're being honest, though, because they're tripping shrooms at that point. That's when they see the dinosaurs like so he he has the scene where he does lie to her. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you're supposed to think that he's actually forgotten. It's probably a pretty shitty, uninteresting job that he doesn't care about to begin with. Probably not a career. Or if it is like it's just something that he doesn't care about is the point. And and like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, And he doesn't really care about a whole lot in general, except for the next bite. And just living in this time loop for for a long time, he's just been trying to forget about the things that tied him to being, I don't know, a continuous character or something. Like, he's like, no, I'm just, I am just today. That's me. And he has, he's effectively forget. But but yeah, like a dog, that's so much more meaningful than a job. Yeah. I do feel like something else that makes this movie unique is the fact that these characters do feel very much tied to our generation, what they're going through with, especially like the depression. I feel like depression, not that it's something brand new, but it is something that's in the last 20, 30 years has become much more open and explored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it's now people are willing to share it. It's now more, it's not something that's a dirty, dark secret that, you know, you don't tell anybody about people are more willing to talk about it. Going to a psychologist or psychiatrist is a little more, it's still a little bit faux pas, but 
not as much as it was 30 years ago. Well, it's a joke um, in Groundhog Day, right? When she talks about like the things she wants in a man and she mentions like a man is not scared to cry in front of me. And Phil yeah. says, we are talking about a man, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is very far from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He cries yeah. in front of a lot of people. Yeah. In fact. All the time. Yeah. yeah. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like showing characters that are depressed, stuck in the mundane and are scared to commit. Right. Like her, Kristen's character is afraid of what a future with Andy Samberg would look like. And I love that line where um, she says, like, what if we get sick of each other? And he's like, we're already sick of each other. It's great. It's the best. Um, (laughs) And I I don't know. I, I just felt like a lot of lines in this movie and a lot of what they did in the characters is tied to our generation. And in that way, it's kind of unique to any of the other time loop movies. And really adds to the genre in that way. Yeah, it's like a, it's like we talked about too with the Groundhog Day, how the 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 sexual deviant part of Phil's life was very kind of unexplored because it's a PG rated movie. And this one's like, but what if like half the movie was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not quite. It's a lot, and that is also kind of adding to it. And that's also like a new generation's focus, right? Is 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 more on this, and this is a movie for adults, and Groundhog Day was a movie for everybody, right? The scene where where it's Andy Samberg and the dad. What are yeah. we doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we? Doing? Funny. Like, how did he pull that off? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, he didn't do that. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there's uh, so I think there's there's something too about talking about our generation and like the the fixations of our generation and different expressions of sexuality are definitely the focus of the culture nowadays, and so that's very well reflected here. It makes me laugh so hard. It probably shouldn't, but when uh, when his girlfriend, what's her name, Minnie Misty or Misty, when she's like, "Wait, are you cheating on me?" and he's like, <laughs> "No, you goof, you're cheating on me." <laughs> <laughs> the way he says that line, "No, like, you goof," <laughs> <laughs> like nobody but Andy Samberg could say it that way, and it's so good. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so so we talked about how what we talked about three different perspectives, three yeah. complete characters. Yeah. That's bringing something new. We talked about the the shift in focus from subjects to something new. We talked about the place setting and the treatment of of mental illness as something new as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of new stuff here. Yeah. While still we're kind of redoing the old ground, it feels like a really it feels like more than a facelift. You know, it feels like a, a, a renovation on an old concept that feels that feels exciting. Anything else that we wanna we wanna mention? Yeah, I mean, what about, like, so with, with that sort of final expression of love that they have, I, I love it a lot. Like, and, and Dan, you you brought this up. What's what's different about their love? About, like, when they're standing in front of the time loop, like, cave. cave. <laughs> time cave. Time, time cave. Bing! Um, <laughs> bing, period. Emphatic period. Like, that's just a great, it's a great soliloquy. And it's hilarious. And, uh, you know, like, what What if we get sick of each other? We already are. It's the best. Just that idea of, like, I don't need you, but maybe, just maybe, life could be a little bit less mundane with you in it. And that's kind of, like, the excited, like, love is amazing moment my, of my, the movie. My eyes really glaze over any time that happens in a rom-com. So, like, for every, like, climactic moment in a rom-com, I'm usually just like, uh-huh. <laughs> this is where they say, but this is all wrong. And then the other person says, but that's what's great about it. And you're like, uh-huh. Yep. 
Well, this felt like yeah. kind of a reverse. <laughs> this felt like kind of a reverse of that because it's, it's, it's literally just what you said, though. No, but it, it. I mean, it is the climactic moment, but it's not when, when like she says oh. the thing, and then he just agrees and says that's actually what's good. Well, yeah, but then it keeps going, and and she says like maybe life would be a little less mundane with you in it, right? Like that's the idea. Like love is just life is mundane. Life is this sort of endless Groundhog Day thing where you wake up and you've got all the same problems and you sit with the same person, you're working through the same shit, but there's someone else who's going through all that with you. What's weird about it to me is that it seems like Andy Samberg's big realization is that he needs her. Like he's in the bar and he has like the one drink and the lady keeps asking like, what'd you put in his drink? And he, his big realization is I need her to be happy. And then her big reveal is I need you to be like for life to be a little less mundane. It almost it almost seems like she doesn't love him. And then she suddenly says, I love you right before they kiss. And there's the, you know, they go through the the time loop for the last time. And it kind of, it was, it was strange to me this time watching it. Like that struck me that there is a difference in how they portray like their, I don't know, their love. It's not just this perfect, like, Oh, and I love you and I love you. And, and now everything's going to be great. It's almost like, I don't know, is the movie trying to say something about the differences that men and women love each other or about just how like millennials love each other? I don't know. That's kind of what I wanted to ask is, is there something deeper here or am I just reading too much into a rom-com? I mean, a joke answer is they, they fell in love in a hopeless place. <laughs> this is the movie that song, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really where it comes from. <laughs> I always imagine uh, like a dark, gritty club that people fall in love in. It's like this. Whenever I hear that song and, and, I, and I hear like hopeless place, sweat. I actually think of like like a cave. Like like they, they found each other in a cave and like I love you. This is a hopeless place. And then they climbed up like Christian Bale out of the cave. Uh, I can't um, imagine Rihanna's song playing to to Christian Bale climbing out of the cave though. It'd be perfect. It'd be, be perfect. Amazing. What are you talking about? Should rescore that movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, but that, that's the, that's just a joke answer um, because I thought of it. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you guys actually think? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I thought it seemed like very unique to, well, I don't know if it's unique. I don't know. Is it unique? Like, or is this just the same thing as like, I don't know, any of the old eighties romantic comedies? Well, I, I would say it, it, there is one difference, which is that I usually, with rom-coms, there's some stakes involved. I don't know. Like, you, you, there's, you there's realize, an upcoming plane trip and they'll like lose touch forever. Yeah. There, there's a, yeah. There's that. There's always a sense of finality. And I guess you do finally get the, the sense of finality. Well, you, you have the sense of finality. He's going to be stuck in the, in the time loop and she won't. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she won't be there and he'll just go back to, I guess he doesn't know this, but she, she would be there in the time loop and he'd just meet her every day again. Oh, yeah, Same no, shit, maybe, different day, no, right? No. You know what? I, I'm just going to say it's just no her difference. taking off on a plane. <laughs> yeah, probably. It just probably. It feels different because they're standing holding C4 looking at a time cave. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, the magic spell of the movie. Really is, is, that's kind of what I was saying is that it is it's it is a rom-com in, in its structure. It just is feels different because it's crazy. Yeah. Because we're seeing murder and explosions and like all this other crazy stuff. And like there's numerous car wrecks. Like, <laughs> there's so much nuts going on in this movie that I, a plane I, blows up. Yeah. A plane blows up. It's I great. I feel like what's really fun about it is that it, it distracts you from 
from what could seem like formula yeah. by, by taking it in a, in a, in yeah. a fresh, fresh direction. Not Sorry, yeah. not a fresh direction, in a fresh way. Because there, there are no stakes in this movie. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to really hope for. Well, you sort of hope that they get together. Um, and that, that's the only thing. Yeah. And the only time like stakes are introduced are, are when the C4 is introduced, when they, when they go into the cave and that's when it becomes just like every other rom-com. Yeah. But it, and it does a good job too, of making you sort of go through each of the characters like, like arcs as well, because like you kind of want to stay in the time loop with Andy Sandberg. Like, you're like, you know what? This is fun. This is enjoyable. I could stay here for a while. But then you're also like, how cool would it be to figure out the way out? Like Christine Milioti. And then you're also like, how awesome would it be to just hunt someone down every single day? Yeah. Like, uh, like Roy. I'd hunt you. Oh, you too. I'd hunt you. <laughs> I'd just show up at your house every day and you'd already be gone. You'd be at my house. and be yeah. like, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I get up earlier than you. I had the drop on you. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, like maybe that, I don't know, that leads to sort of talking about Andy Sandberg um, t- for me because... I feel like this is something he does a lot, which is, I, I don't know. I Andy Samberg is, is one of my favorite comedians in a way. Yeah. And Jesse, you, you brought up like, what do these two characters bring to this movie? Yeah. Right. Well, they're, they're the beating heart of the movie. It, it feels like the, the stories, maybe it is just the structure like Vito is pointing out, but it kind of feels like it, a lot of it happens to be Andy Samberg. I, I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. What, what do you it's think? A ton that of charm. What do you think they're adding to the to the time loop series and to maybe rom-coms in general here? Is, is, I don't know. Are they are they making it something different? I feel like they're a worthy addition. Like, I, I feel like they could stand up there with with some of some of the better ones. I don't think it's Harry and Sally. Right. I don't think it's that good. But I think they're head and shoulders above most rom-coms. And maybe over the years, this will look even better and better. Maybe this is just like some recency anti-bias. Right. <laughs> Saying it's not that great. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty pretty standard for a lot of stuff that we're seeing now, but I think it's done exceptionally well. Um, I think that there's a lot of depressed couples on on in, in romantic comedies, such things, right? Not necessarily romantic comedies, but in series and TV shows yeah. and things. A lot of stuff is about depression. A lot of stuff, yeah, and and trauma. Mm-hmm. And with this movie, deals heavily in both, right? And depression and trauma are. are not even like accepted. That's like what everyone talks about. <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest shows on TV right now is about depression, trauma, and drugs. And it's called Euphoria, right? <laughs> right. right. And I think Andy Samberg's character, at least the ones I've seen him play in other things, he's always kind of that happy-go-lucky, act like I don't care about anything, but secretly I do. And he even has a line in this movie where he's like, all right, back to acting like I don't care. And... I think that that is relatable for us in our generation of like, we don't want to look like we care. We don't want to like, we're the ones that had like alternative rock that, you know, the emo movement and all this of like rebelling against, you know, the powers that be. And we still feel that way. Even if we secretly do care about things and care about others, we don't want anybody to ever know that we do. And no, Dan, Dan, we rebelled so hard, we decided to go back to the system. Yeah. <laughs> That's how hard we rebelled. We, we rebelled against Gen X. Who were, Look, yeah. when you rebel against the rebels, you're just the Empire. <laughs> hey, we're striking back. It's a full um, circle. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. Mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I kind of I, I, I kind of saw that because I've thought about that a lot. Like when, when Gen X is coming up in the 90s and they're rebelling against the system and it's a sin to sell out. And, you know, you don't want to be involved with the man 
but then, you know, we would, as millennials, we would like to buy houses. We <laughs> would like to have good paying jobs to have good stable lives. You know, we can't, I can't live in rebellion my whole life. I must do something. Well, I'm going to, to push away from that, which isn't helping me. And I'm going to help myself, which I guess is selling out. Yeah. <laughs> everyone I know is sold out. Yeah. <laughs> including me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're here. Hence here the depression. <laughs> Hence the depression. Yeah. Yeah. And the mundanity and like trying to find someone. Yeah. But Andy Samberg, especially like, I, I feel like he, um, he does a really fantastic job of taking these sort of old formulaic things like Brooklyn nine, nine is hilarious. It's a formulaic show. You know, what's happening 99% of the time. Yeah. Nine, nine, and, and it's, it's fantastic, but it's hilarious every time it is consistently funny because yeah. they're not trying to do more than what they're doing in a certain way, which is fresh, like weirdly, like that's fresh and refreshing. And what they're trying to do instead is like, okay, how do we make this gag actually funny? How do we, how do we one up maybe? How do we push the limit of the joke itself rather than of the structure of the show or something like that? And I think that that's what's happening here. It's hilarious because it's like slapstick. Like we don't get much slapstick. Yeah. I, f- I feel like these days, I, I don't think I've seen very much like that. Slapstick and, mostly now seems to be in, in funny murders. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this isn't that. It's uh, it's a sweet movie there are about funny love. Murders. There are there funny murders. There are a lot of funny murders. <laughs> that's true. But also Kristen Milioti has a hook. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's goofy. It's goofy yeah. in a really sincere and cool way. But it's also cynical. But it's also everything, right? Yeah. And that that's what's cool about it. Like Groundhog Day itself feels cynical. The movie's not cynical at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Palm Springs feels a little cynical. And other times it's incredibly earnest and like hard on its sleeve and goofy and sweet. Yeah. And he strikes cool. a great balance of yeah. of all of yeah. these things. Andy yeah, Samberg can be disaffected or he can be the most caring person you know. Yeah. You know? At the turn as of an avatar, too. he's a yeah. great person to want to be, to, to pretend you're like as well. Yes. Yeah. Is that what you've been doing? I like, like, no, <laughs> you, you always pretend that you're the protagonist in the movie that you're watching or whatever. It's right? true. Like he's a great person to pretend to be for an hour and a half. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What does the pool mean? <laughs> what does the pizza floaty mean? How do I get a pizza floaty? How does he Amazon. how does he cannonball in the same exact spot in the pool every day? That takes well, it's down. the it's it's from it's from the the diving board. He jumps from the diving board. Jesse's just Maybe asking that's how it. is it the same every single day? Oh. Well he's you been know? there a million times. Yeah. He practiced it. I guess that's I his would... like favorite thing to do. You just cannonball. You never Yeah, he's in a real rut in the in this, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's, like, he's, in, he's he's deeply <laughs> depressed. Yes, because well, no, we we had talked about we talked about the monkey thing back in back in the Groundhog Day episode, remember? And we said we were talking about how how maybe sometimes people like to do all possible things, mm. but without Kristen Miliotti, he's just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Because I think without we get variation. the impression he's 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 run out of things. Yeah, he's run out of yeah. new things. Right. Uh, this is this is where he lands. Yeah. Yeah, he says that I I felt everything there is to feel, and now I can't feel anything. Like, yeah, such a depre- <laughs> that's, that's the definition of depression right there. <laughs> I was thinking, you know what I definitely try and do? Just like just lay out naked in the desert and see how sunburned you could get. Like, yeah, how long it takes to die? Like do cocaine and just lay in the desert? Yeah, like do all. I don't think do you all would the cocaine. Just try that. and like stop your heart. <laughs> 
I would spend a lot of time doing stuff like that, like extreme jackass. <laughs> Smoke crystal meth and see how far you get. Exactly. <laughs> Running on foot. <laughs> see if you make it to Texas then. Um, okay, well then final question. And I'm going to throw this to, to you, Dan. Is this a dad movie? I don't think so. I feel like this is definitely a movie I like, but not necessarily as a dad. I think that I would have liked this as a bachelor. And since I don't think, I can't think of any situation I would recommend it to my kids. I don't really see how me being a dad has anything to do with it. Um, (laughs) The only scene of like dadness in it is when he tells the Rudd guy, is his name Rudd or something? The Roy? No, no, the the guy that has all the guns and everything. Oh, um, yeah. When he's like, I'm your father, I'm, I'm your son or whatever. And they hug and everything. It's, it's more just for comedy. Well, um, the, there's also the Roy sequence where, you know, his son is watering the shit. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So they're all like kind of comedic moments. There's yeah. nothing really. It's more of a, a romance, like a true young teen or young adult rather romance. So I don't, I don't really consider this a dad movie. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't think it's, this is like a, I feel like this is the spiritual successor to 500 Days for Summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 500 Days of summer, of summer. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. Uh, this is a young man's <laughs> movie. Um, this is this is like a, a movie for kind of a single young dude, uh, which I was at one point. So uh, it's still a movie for me, but not as a husband, not as a father. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, same. Not a dad movie. Like you were saying, there's nothing particularly about being a dad that would make you appreciate anything in this movie more except for the Roy scene. And, and that would kind of be it. Uh, it's definitely not your father's movie. Uh, I'll <laughs> say, absolutely yeah. not. This, absolutely this, not. <laughs> this, is, this is for us. And I think like we were saying, this is kind of our generation of, and, and our mentality. And that's kind of cool to see on screen. But it's, yeah, it's, it's not really very dad. Yeah, I, I I concur. I will I will push back a little bit on the single guy thing because me and my wife really enjoy this. My wife especially really yeah, loves this true, movie. Yeah, it's true. And yeah. uh, she was really excited to watch it with me, and she has not been excited to watch some of these time loop ones. <laughs> uh, but she was really excited to do to watch this one with me, and and it's something I enjoy watching with her. She's a she's a big sucker for uh, Andy Samberg, and so anything Andy Samberg's in, we 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 love watching. Pop star, Hot Rod, Brooklyn Nine Nine always on the hook for, for Mr. Sandberg. So I will always enjoy watching it with my wife because of how funny she finds it. And I will laugh at how much she's laughing, but it's not, yeah, it's not essential to me being a dad. It may, might be essential to me being a husband, but that's more of Andy Sandberg. Hmm. Um, He's big in our relationship. Hmm. They can never meet. I, (laughs) they can never meet. (laughs) He makes her laugh way more than I do. (laughs) Um, all right, well, that about does it. We have wrapped up our time loop series. Or have we? We did. Will we be back tomorrow? Well, no. We, we Same dropped, thing. We dropped the Different. C4 down in the cave. We were nice to people. Oh. We we had a kid and couldn't go back further. And we, we blew up the Omega. The Omega. Yes. Or did we? We're out. We did. <laughs> or did dead. we? Well, the Omega's dead. Maybe the Omega now is Tom Cruise. We, we, we haven't answered that. We haven't Maybe answered that. Maybe the real Omega is the pods we made along the way. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Maybe then, since you, you so eagerly want to say things, what's our next series? Oh, I've got no fucking idea. Yes, you do. I do? It's your series. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Did we decide what it was going to be? It was up to you. 
<laughs> to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. All right. Well, we'll we'll update you when we know. And uh, until then, for all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse.